We're turning tonight in God's holy word to Paul's epistle to the Romans and the chapter 5, please. That's the fifth chapter of Paul's epistle to the Romans. And we're going to read together from the first one of the chapter. Paul writes, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Amen. And there we lend our reading. And we know that God will add his blessing to this reading of his holy word tonight for his name's sake. With God's word open before us, let us again seek the face of God for his blessing upon our meditation in his word. Father, we thank thee again for the joy of being here. We thank thee that thou art one of our number. And now as we turn to thy word, we thank thee for the great privilege. We thank thee for the scriptures of truth in our mother tongue. And we thank thee for the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. May the Holy Spirit illuminate the sacred page just now and enlighten our minds and help us to understand the scriptures. Bless us, and do us good just now, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I've chosen the first one of this fifth chapter of Paul's Epistle to the Romans for my text this evening. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Being justified by faith, says Paul, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our subject for this evening is peace with God. Peace with God is yet another 
gem or pearl out of the treasury of the saints of God. This morning we were looking at another of these precious gems, namely the full assurance of faith. For the Apostle John writes in his first epistle, chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. What a precious thing to know, to be fully assured, perfectly persuaded and convinced that we have eternal life. That is one of the many precious gems that the Christian has in his treasury. In our text for tonight we have another of these precious gems, namely peace with God. Being justified by faith, says Paul, we have peace with God. Peace with God is the need of every human heart and the blessed possession of every redeemed soul. We all need to be reconciled to God for we all by nature are rebels against God. We are born in sin and shaping in iniquity. We are born with our faces away from God and our hearts away from God and our hearts and faces toward this world and to sin. And God is angry with the sinner every day so that every one of us have this great need, the need to be reconciled to God and brought into a state of peace with God. Peace with God is the basis of all true happiness and the absence of this peace is the reason for all man's misery. I do not say that there is not a form of happiness which exists without this peace but I say that there is no true happiness, no happiness worthy of the name, where there is no peace with God. Some people, they have not peace with God, but they seem to be very happy. Happy in their sin. Happy with this world. Happy with their lot in this world. And they seem to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So they have a form of happiness but it's not true happiness it is like fool's gold you've heard of fool's gold fool's gold is uh, a material that looks like gold and many a prospector having found this material thought he had struck it rich that he had struck a fiend of gold only to discover when that nugget or that rock was examined, that it wasn't really gold. It only had the appearance of gold. But it was, and it became known as fool's gold. Fool's gold. 
So is happiness in this world without the peace of God. It is a fool's happiness. For only a fool can be happy while they live in a state of rebellion against God. Only a fool can be happy while they live in a state of condemnation and in danger of the wrath of God. Their happiness is a fool's happiness. It is a false happiness. True happiness only comes from and is based upon and is the result of peace with God. Can I ask you tonight, dear friend, have you peace with God? This is the most important question. No matter what else you may have, you may have much of this world's riches, but if you have not peace with God, in reality you have nothing. You're lost, you're undone, you're condemned. Have you this peace? As we look at this subject tonight, I want to consider in the first place the nature of this peace with God. This peace with God is twofold. It involves, first of all, a state of peace with God, to be in a state of peace with God. In other words, reconciliation to God. And secondly, it involves a sense of peace, having been brought in to a state of peace with God, having been reconciled to God, it involves a sense of that peace, a realization of that peace in the soul. Bishop Ryle defines this peace as a calm, intelligent sense of friendship with the Lord of heaven and earth. He that has this peace feels as there was no barrier and separation between himself and his holy maker. He can think of himself as under the eye of the all-seeing being and yet not feel afraid. He can believe that this all-seeing being holds him and yet is not displeased. Or beholds him and yet is not displeased. Have you that peace? How do you feel? Here's a great test of our Christianity. Here's a great test of our profession of faith in Christ. Here's a great test of our hope of glory. How do you feel knowing that the all-seeing eye of God is upon you? How do you feel about that? Have you peace about that? Or do you feel uneasy, frightened and afraid to contemplate this idea that the all-seeing eye of God is upon you. He who has peace with God does not fear, even though he knows that he lives and dwells before the all-seeing God. He lives and dwells in the presence of the all-seeing God and is not afraid. Another old preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said of this peace, He who has this peace with God has a consequent peace in the little kingdom within. Peace with the little, in the little kingdom within. 
He has peace in reference to all outward circumstances. Peace in reference to all God's commands. A perfect peace with regard to God's providential dealings. A peace toward God which passeth all understanding. And that's what this peace is. He who has this peace is not only not afraid of the thought that he is the object of the all-seeing eye of God that he is beheld and seen by God, but he has peace in the inner kingdom of the heart. Oh, the storms of life may be raging around him, but he who has this peace has peace within, peace in the midst of life's storms. He who has this peace is at peace in reference to all his outward circumstances. Outward circumstances cannot disturb this peace or rob us of this peace. It is a deep-seated peace that is reconciled to and at peace with all the providential dealings of God. It is a peace that comes from the realization that God is in control of all things. And the soul that has this peace can say, My Father planned it all. It all. No matter what comes our way. And this peace is a great deep peace which passeth all understanding. The world cannot understand this peace. The unconverted man or woman cannot understand this peace. They are amazed when they see this peace in the believer, even though that believer is surrounded with all kinds of calamities and troubles and trials. The unbeliever, the worldling, looks on and sees this peace, and they are bewildered. They cannot understand it. This peace in the heart can enable a man and does enable a man to face death without fear. In my ministry, of course, I've had the sad task of attending people who've been terminally ill and burying them. But one lady comes to mind in particular, a great old child of God. She really loved the Lord. And she was diagnosed with cancer. And they told her that she had six months to live. And they were right. She lived for six months. She was in an old people's home. Although, mind you, her mind was clear. And I used to visit with her. And I remember going in just before she passed away. I watched her as she went lower and lower and lower and became weaker and weaker and weaker. And towards the end I went in and I was alone with her in that room. And she was very weak. And her voice was very weak and very soft. Indeed, she couldn't carry on a conversation, but just utter a few words. She hadn't strength to utter more. And I remember not knowing quite what to say to her. So I said, Sister, are you afraid? For she knew she was dying. She looked at me and softly she said, No, I'm not afraid. So I had to think of something else to say. There's no one else to keep up the conversation. So I said, 
I suppose you're just waiting for the Lord. And she said again softly, I'm just waiting for the Lord. And then there was a pause. And suddenly, I don't know where she got the strength from and the strength of voice from, but she opened her eyes and she looked at me and she says, and I don't know what's keeping them. (laughs) Here was a lady and she was looking face, death in the face. Death in the face. She knew she was going to die. Was she afraid? Her own testimony was no. She was waiting for the Lord to catch her soul away and bring her to glory. When I was a young minister in Kilkeel, as a matter of fact, I was only a student at the time, I remember going to a home where this dear man lived uh, halfway up the mountains and uh, he had gangrene. And the doctors told the family that he was too weak to go through the operation. They said, if we put him through the operation and take away the leg, it'll kill him. And if we don't take away the leg, the gangrene will kill him. So it was decided that they wouldn't put him through the trauma of an operation and they'd keep him in the house at home. They didn't even put him into the hospital. They kept him at home. And they sat with him round the clock. And one night, he was a dear old saint of God, I should say, and one night his wife was sitting with him through the night. And in the middle of the night, he opened his eyes and he began to sing all the old hymns of Zion and the Psalms. And his wife sat there and listened to him and eventually he stopped singing and he lost consciousness again. The next morning, new day, awoke, and he opened his eyes again. And his wife, sitting, still sitting by his bedside, said to him, You were singing last night, John. He says, Man, I was. He says, Sure, all the angels were singing, and all I could do was join in with them. Now, whatever caused him to think that way or feel that way, I don't know. But this I do know, that he was a man who was anticipating heaven. He was a man who knew his illness, knew his condition, and he knew that soon he was going to be with God. And he was unafraid, because he had the peace of God in his heart. The man, the woman, the person with the peace of God in the heart can face death. And not be afraid. I'll tell you what's more. The person with this peace in their heart can face God himself and not be afraid. Yes. And that's something, isn't it? Can face God himself and not be afraid. Oh, some infidels and atheists boast that they're not afraid of God. They don't believe in God. Well, we shall see. Many of them, when they've come to die, have changed their tune in the face of death and the prospect of meeting God. One young woman, I say this sadly, she said, well, when she was challenged about a matter, she says, I'll argue it out with God when I see him. I said, don't you believe it, dear? You'll be like Belshazzar 
your knees will clap together and your loins will be loosed and you'll tremble in the sight and the face of God when you stand before God. But the man who has peace in his heart can face God without fear because he's no reason to be fear. It's not a matter of boldness. It's not a matter of arrogance. It's a matter of him not having anything to be afraid of. He's at peace with God. He's reconciled to God. His sin is gone. God is no longer angry with him. He's the object of God's love. Not God's wrath. He who has this peace in his heart can face the judgment itself. And there's going to be a judgment, you know. Oh, yes. Thank God there's going to be a judgment. Thank God there's going to be a judgment. There are people who faintly imagine that they can carry out the most heinous crimes and escape the justice of men. And many of them do. But they'll not escape the judgment of God. They'll stand before God. There's a judgment. There are men like Hitler, who was responsible for the death and the murder of millions, who thought he could escape judgment by committing suicide. Little did he know that he'll stand in the day of judgment and he'll give an account to God for all his actions and for the blood that dripped from his hands, as will all tyrants. Oh, they'll not be so brave then and they stand in the judgment. But bless God, the person who's peace in his heart, the child of God, can stand in the judgment because he or she has nothing to fear. Their sins are forgiven. Their sins are forgiven. I remember being very troubled as a young Christian, a young Christian <coughs> with a text which warns us uh, about being ashamed before the Lord of his coming. But I thought, well, I'd be ashamed before the Lord is coming. You know, I'd be ashamed. You know, and I, it troubled me greatly. And I, I, I was actually afraid in myself. If the Lord came, I would feel ashamed. I, I felt so unworthy of his love and his mercy and his grace. And I asked people that should have known better about this text. And they give me stories and so on and pump me off the answer. The truth is I didn't know the real answer to it. I was a Christian and I was afraid of being ashamed of his coming. And I prayed about it. And the thought came to me, well what would you be ashamed of, Billy? And the answer came back, my sin. What sin? <laughs> Your sins are all forgiven. They're all blotted out. They don't exist. Christ has washed them in his precious blood and made them whiter than the snow. How can you be ashamed of something that doesn't exist? And if we were, if everybody was ashamed of their sin, who would not be ashamed? Why warn us against being ashamed before him at his coming? That text refers to hypocrites. That text refers to the kind of people who are going to stand before God and say, as the Lord Jesus tells us, Lord, in thy name we preached in thy name or prophesied in thy name and in thy name did many wonderful works but at the bottom of it all they were hypocrites for Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. They're the people that will be ashamed. Not the child of God because his sins are forgiven. They're washed away. They're blotted out. 
They're buried in the sea of God's forgetfulness. And then I turned up old Matthew Henry. Thank God for old Matthew Henry. And I realised he was the only one with a bit of insight and a bit of sense like myself. And he said exactly the same thing. Man, it was good to hear that because I'd come to that conclusion. Well, God, I believe, had showed me that. But uh, it was, it's good when some of these old good old men bear out what you believe and have seen to be the truth. Ah, oh, man, when you have the peace of God in your heart, you'll not fear death. You don't need to fear death. You shouldn't anyway fear death. Uh, I know now, having said that, I, I'm aware that, you know, death is a terrible thing. You know, whenever we built a new church, we had the fire department down. You see, because we had to, uh, all these regulations to attend to. And the gentleman said, now, you fellas, you men are responsible if there's a fire. You need to have a team of people who will adopt, you'll have a, a, an assembly point to get the people out if there's a fire in the church. And you need to appoint men in certain places to say, uh, to lead them out this way, this way, to show people where to get out. Yeah. I said, well, that's okay, I'll do that. I said, follow me. <laughs> and I was starting saying, out that road. I, I was saying, follow me, I'll show you the way. I'd be the first out. And so uh, there's a, that natural fear of death. That's, that's natural, that's understandable, that's built into us. But there'll be no terror of death. No terror of death, and especially when we get older and we've lived a full life. Old Granny used to get down at the old chair beside the fireplace when we all went to bed. She lived with us and you could hear her praying, Lord, take me home. No fear of death. No fear of standing before God. Why would we fear? No fear of the judgment because our sins are gone. No fear of eternity. Indeed, we can look forward to eternity because we have a hope of glory that fadeth not away. And every believer in Jesus has an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away led up for him in heaven. Yes, look forward to that. Look forward to that. The Apostle Paul, he said he had a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. He had this glorious hope. And so we can face these things without being greatly moved, I should maybe have said. Greatly moved. There is a, a natural fear of death there. and Well, and I suppose a natural timidity about standing before God, but without greatly being moved, if we have this peace of God in our hearts. Oh, do you possess this peace tonight? What is the source of this peace with God? We've considered the nature of it. Where does this peace come from? Well, our text tells us that it flows from, it is the outflowing, the outcome of justification by faith in God. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. This peace is the outcome and the result of justification. And as we mentioned this morning, if you were here with us, justification is much more than just being forgiven our sins. And that's a wonderful thing to be forgiven forgiven our sins, to know that our sins are forgiven that's another precious gem in the believer's treasury but justification is more than that it is to be declared not guilty by the judge of all the earth in the court of heaven of any crime against God 
It is to have your sins totally blotted out, removed without trace, obliterated. As though we'd, and to be left as though we had never sinned against God. This peace is the result and the consequence of the, having the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. That's what happens when you're justified. God places the righteousness of Christ upon you. And you stand clothed in that perfect righteousness before God. And clothed in that perfect righteousness, justified in the sight of God by faith in Jesus, the peace of God which passeth all understanding floods into the heart. It brings us into a state of peace with God. And it gives us a sense of peace. <clears throat> sense of peace. Oh, have you that sense of peace, Christian? You may be in a state of peace. But you may not be enjoying that sense of peace the way you should. Just like we were considering this morning that there are those uh, who have eternal life but they're not enjoying that fact. They're troubled by doubts and fears. Well, we dealt with that this morning. And so there are those who can be justified but still troubled with doubts and fears and not really enjoying that sense of peace. Oh, get rid of your doubts. Get rid of your fears after the fashion we were speaking this morning. Read the word of God. Live before God as you should live. And look to the Holy Spirit to give you that full assurance of faith. And live in the full assurance of the fact that you're justified by faith in Christ. Justified the moment you believed. That's a wonderful thing. Justified the moment you believed. Justification is not like sanctification. Some people get justification and sanctification mixed up. You see, sanctification is a progressive thing. It's a process of being made holy uh, and holier and holier and holier until you're perfected in perfect holiness when you get home to heaven. That's sanctification. But justification... It's instantaneous. The moment you believe, the moment a sinner believes in Jesus, he or she receives this blessed justification. They are clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ, justified from all sin in the sight of God. As much justified the moment they believe as the greatest glorified saint who has been longest in heaven is justified. This peace flows from justification. How is this, what is the ground of this peace with God? Well, and how is this justification possible? The answer is quite simple, the Lord Jesus Christ. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through, by means of, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we have it. This peace, this joy, this justification comes to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has become the believing sinner's substitute. He has took the believing sinner's place. He has borne all the sins of the believer and paid the debt that the believer owed to God and thereby obtained for us justification with God and peace with God. He has suffered in our stead. Bless God for the great 
doctrine and truth of the substitutionary death of Christ. All this is ours because Jesus loved us and gave himself for us and paid the debt that we owed, paid the penalty. He did more than this. He not only paid the debt, but he lived the life that we should have lived. He fulfilled the law of God as well as paying the the penalty of the broken law for us. Christ, in one word, has lived for the true Christian. Some Christians forget that. He has lived for the true Christian. And that's a wonderful thing. He has lived for the true Christian. In other words, he has done everything that you and I should do. He has perfectly kept the law, every jot and tittle of it. He has loved God the way we should love God. To love God for us. He prayed the way we should pray. He prayed, if you like, his prayer life is imputed to us as well. His holy walk, his holy life, his perfect righteousness, it's all imputed to us. So he lived for us, fulfilling the law for us. And then he died for us because the penalty of the law needed to be dealt with in Christ paid the penalty of the broken law for us on the cross of Calvary. He has risen for us, for our justification. He has ascended up on high to God and gone into heaven to intercede for the believer's soul. Christ has done all, paid all, suffered all that was needful for the believer's redemption. Hence arises the true Christian's justification, hence his peace. In himself, in the the believer himself, there is nothing. But in Christ he has all things that his soul can require. The ground of our peace is Christ himself, his perfect life, his substitutionary death. And resurrection. That is the ground. Of our peace. Not in what we do. Or have done. But what the Lord Jesus has done for us. I remember when I got saved. A work colleague and a friend. He wasn't saved of course. And he said to me. You must think you're a quern good. I said what do you mean Bobby? Ah, you're going to heaven, the rest of us are going to hell. (laughs) What makes you think you're better than the rest of us? I said, Bobby, you don't understand. I'm not going to heaven because of anything I have done or can do. I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So you see the nature of this peace. You see from whence it flows. It flows from justification with God. You see the grounds and basis of it. It is Jesus Christ himself, his perfect life, his substitutionary death on the cross for us. Now, in closing, the way in which this privilege of peace is received. How do we receive this privilege of peace? Our text tells us being justified by faith, we have peace with God. It's received by faith. 
the means by which a man or woman obtains an interest in Christ and all his benefits is simple faith and faith alone. There is but one thing needful in order to be justified by Christ's blood and have peace with God. And that one thing is to believe in Jesus. This is the peculiar mark of a true Christian. Christians are called believers. Read the Bible and you'll find that Christians are referred to as believers. True Christians. The Bible says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And without this faith it is impossible to be saved. A man may be moral, amiable, good-natured and respectable, but if he does not believe in Christ, he has no pardon, no justification, no peace, no title to heaven. Again the scripture says, He that believeth not is condemned already. And again, He that believeth not, the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And once more, He that believeth not shall be damned. Condemned. We cannot be saved. We're saved by this faith. We cannot be saved without this faith. But beside this faith, nothing else is needed or necessary under justification. Nothing else. Beyond doubt, repentance, holiness, love, humility, prayerfulness, all these things will be seen and found in a justified person. But they do not even in the smallest degree, justify that person in the sight of God. Nothing joins a man to Christ. Nothing justifies but simple faith. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. We conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law, saith the Apostle Paul. Having this faith, a man is at once completely justified. His sins are at once removed. His iniquities are at once put away. The very hour that he believes he is reckoned by God entirely pardoned, forgiven, and a righteous man. His justification is not a future privilege to be obtained after a long time and great pains. It is an immediate present possession. Jesus says he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Paul says by him all that believe are justified, are justified presently from all things. How is this peace, this justification obtained? Through simple faith. Of course we need to make sure that the faith that we possess is genuine faith. This faith is not a mere feeling. Some people get faith and feelings all mixed up. We're not saved by feelings. We're saved by faith. And feelings cannot save. Feelings uh, come as a consequence of faith. Feelings come once we realize that we're forgiven, received, and we have these feelings. But we're not saved by feelings. Uh, We're not saved by feelings of regret or remorse or sorrow for sin. No, many people have these things, but they're not saved. It is faith that saves. So don't confuse faith with feelings. 
true saving faith is not a bare assent of the intellect to the fact that Christ died for sinners. A lot of people consent to that and imagine that as faith. No, it's not. This is not one whit better than the faith of devils. They know who Jesus is. They believe and they do more. They tremble before him, but they're not saved. So it's not just a mere intellectual acceptance of the truth. True saving faith is an act of the whole inner man. It is an act of his head, his heart and his will, all uniting and all combined together. It is an act of the soul in which seeing our own guilt, danger and helplessness and seeing at the same time Christ offering salvation to us. We venture on Christ. We flee to Christ. We receive Christ as our only hope. We become a willing dependent on Christ for salvation. And this is an habitual thing, not just a once-off thing. It's habitual. It continues. Yes, the moment we are saved, we believe after this fashion, but we go on believing. We go on trusting in Christ. To the day we die, we die believing in Jesus as our only hope. Man brings nothing to Christ but his sinfulness. He gives nothing, contributes nothing, pays nothing, performs nothing. This pardon and this peace is received by us taken, accepted, grasped and embraced as a glorious gift which it is and which Christ bestows have you believed after this fashion we've mentioned Bishop Ryan, we'll mention him again he says of faith saving faith is the hand of the soul The sinner is like a drowning man at the point of sinking. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ holding out to him help and he grasps his hand and is saved. This is faith. Just like Peter. Remember Peter's walking in the water. He's sinking. He realizes his danger and he says, Lord, save me. The Lord puts down his hand. Peter grabs his hand. Ryan says that's what faith is. Realizing you're sinking in sin, sinking to rise no more, and Christ puts down his hand, and you put out your hand, the hand of faith, and you take hold of Christ. He says, Saving faith is the eye of the soul. The sinner is like the Israelite bitten by the fiery serpent in the wilderness, and at the point of death, the Lord Jesus Christ is offered to him as the brazen serpent set up for his cure. He looks and is healed. This is faith. To look. Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved, saith the Lord. For I am God, and there is none else. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. Saving faith, says Ryan, is the mouth of the soul. The sinner is starving for want of food, and sick of a sore disease. The Lord Jesus Christ is set before him as the bread of life, and the universal medicine, he receives it and is made well and strong. This is faith. And once more, Ryan says, saving faith is the foot of the soul. The sinner is pursued by a deadly enemy. 
and is in fear of being overtaken. The Lord Jesus Christ is put before him as a strong tower, a hiding place and a refuge. He runs into it and is safe. This is faith. Oh dear friends, do you see the nature of this faith, uh, this peace? This peace with God. Do you see the nature of it? It is to be brought into a state of peace with God, to be reconciled to God. It is to enjoy a sense of peace with God. Do you see it? You see from whence this peace flows? It flows from justification. It is something which swells up and flows forth from being justified with God. When a man is justified with God, he has peace with God. You see the grounds, the basis of it, and that is Christ himself, his perfect life, his substitutionary death. And you see the way and the means of obtaining this peace, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Do you enjoy this peace? Have you this peace? If not, you may have it. If you'll just put out the hand of faith which Jesus offers you uh, and grasp the hand that Jesus offers you and he will save you. Look and live. Come and take the water of life freely and you shall be saved, justified, and at peace with God. May God lead you there. We'll pray. Father, we thank Thee for our presence, Thy presence with us tonight and our time spent around Thy Word and for this great subject that we've been thinking about. We thank Thee that there is such a thing as peace with God. And we thank Thee that it is the possession of every redeemed soul. May it be the possession of every one of us here tonight. And if any of us do not possess it, May we put forth the hand of faith and take that which God offers to us as a free gift in Christ Jesus our Lord. Part is now with thy blessing, for Jesus' sake. Amen.